Oh, man. That. <laughs> okay, so that was not pre-planned. Um, uh, we've got, we've got, we're allowed 20 people right now. Um, and so we are just, uh, we've got a bunch of volunteers in because we're gearing things up ready for uh, reopening. And uh, as uh, James and Delani said, actually, I'm probably one of the people in the category of a very, very excited that we're opening up. Um, it, it, we actually had people just over at our house <laughs> last night, probably till a little bit too late. Uh, so we'll need some prayer for today's service. Let's all pray together. Father, thank you so much. Uh, for your goodness and uh, for being the source of our joy. Even as we unpack your word today, I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us in our homes, that we would catch a sense of the fruit, the element of the fruit of the Spirit that represents joy. So, Lord, uh, we commit this into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, uh, just before... I get into today's message, I do want to talk about one other thing, um, which is a, probably a pretty big announcement, and it's to gear us up for next week. Part of the reason why we did a, a Zoom test as well is to gear us up for next week, but next week, we're asking that the whole church, as many people as possible, join our service on Zoom. We'll still be limited we think, to about 20 people. Uh, you know, anything can change, but what is the likelihood of us going to 500 people in person, right? Um, so we think next week, uh, jump on our service on Zoom. Uh, that'll be fjam.org.au slash Zoom. Because next week, we actually have a very important Sunday. Here's the breaking news. Pastor Roland, our founding pastor, is retiring from work this year, all right? Uh, he's been working at FJ for, I don't know, like 27 years. He's been a pastor before he came to found FGA, and we are coming up to very close to uh, an end of an era. It's actually a very important moment in the life of FGA's church. This is a very significant announcement. We've actually, you may not know this, but we've been planning and discussing this for the year already. Uh, it's just we never found a good time to make the actual announcement because we thought initially that when we made the announcement, that he's finishing at the end of this year, so not, not immediately, but at the end of this year. When we made the announcement, we thought, oh, we'd have a lot of people around and we could do a bit of a celebration. But it turns out that we're going to have to do one of these Zoom wedding things, right? We'd have to do one of these Zoom wedding things where we will do an announcement of Pastor Roland's retirement. We'll do a mini sort of celebration. We'll have a bit of a chat, a few things special for next week. But it's going to be small and most of us are going to be on Zoom. Then, next year, we're going to have our actual big celebration of all his life and ministry at FGA and his, like, the big wedding banquet, 
All right. Uh, when we opened Lexton, we had a thousand people come over multiple services. We think that when we actually do properly Pastor Roland's farewell, uh, we'll be inviting people who used to come to FGA, who's been impacted by his life. We've got churches that are in our network that we'll invite. We've got MPs and various other people that we will invite as well. And so it'll be a big celebration. And honestly, we can't do that now and we can't do that this year so what instead what we're doing is we're going to try to give the heads up for the uh retirement announcement which will be next week pastor roland is also preaching uh but i want to request if i could for the church that uh, almost as a matter of honor as a way to honor uncle roland to appreciate uncle roland that you jump on zoom so that when he's doing this service he can see our faces. Imagine it's like you're invited to a wedding of a good friend of yours and you have to be on Zoom, right? So then, uh, even if you can't be there, you're just showing up on Zoom. It, it means actually a lot to the couple. I've done a lot of Zoom weddings now over the two years of lockdown. And it's been great having people show up because then people we can see their face, right? Um, and so I thought, oh, it's a little bit unfortunate that we have to make the announcement without people present, but I think it would be great for Pastor Roland to be able, in the various moments of the service, to be able to eyeball and see our faces on Zoom. So if I could just make a request, which is part of the reason why we've been testing Zoom-type things in our service um, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but next week, I'm actually hoping that more than just like 20 or 30 or 40 people jump on Zoom. It would be fantastic if we got... Um, all of us on Zoom as we uh, sort of did the announcement of Pastor Roland's farewell. It's probably not as epic as I'm making it sound because he's not actually leaving next week. We still have him around. Um, he's retiring at the end of the year, but at some point we need to, to make this announcement. So next week is the big um, week for that. Okay. Let's get right into it. I'm so excited about today's message. As you know, uh, we are in Galatians this whole year. We're in Galatians 5, if you've got your Bible, open it up. Galatians 5, 22 to 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let's also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's walk by the Spirit. It's one of the main points of the book of Galatians. You know, uh, our series is called um, uh, Fruit BTS, right? So these things that uh, love, joy, peace, against these things there are no law, right? People generally want joy, I imagine, right? But what we're doing with the series is we are actually going behind the scenes. So if you want joy, what does it look like behind the scenes to get joy? In fact, BTS is also an acronym. Turns out it's an acronym for many things. Again, do not Google it. Um, it's also an acronym for by the Spirit. So what we're doing is we're looking at fruit. And how do we get the fruit behind the scenes? Well, how we get the fruit is we keep in step with the Spirit. So it's the fruit by the Spirit. That's what fruit BTS is. Um, I like Romans 5 verse 5 that says, the, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. How? 
through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's what we did in the first fruit of the Spirit when we looked at love. In many senses of the word, the Holy Spirit is the one who feeds God into us. It is how we produce the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, we know this. Most people go to the trouble of planting fruit trees because they like the fruit, right? Why would somebody plant fruit trees in their house if they didn't like the fruit that the tree produced? Most people who do that, they actually, if, if it's, um, they like the fruit, right? And so we're taking our time, as we said, uh, to look at what does this fruit of the Holy Spirit look like? Uh, what fruit can I get? What fruit can I produce? But I think when we do this, we have to ask this very legitimate question. Here's a legitimate question that I'm sure you're asking. Even as I say, oh, most people who plant trees like the fruit. Well, it turns out there's lots of people around who like fruit. And you know what? They don't plant trees. So I think it's legitimate to ask the question, why not just buy the fruit? I mean... We're full on in 2021, right? Why don't we? We're not gardeners. Why don't you just buy the fruit? Uh, cooking or developing the fruit or, or growing the fruit, whatever it is, producing it is pretty hard work. Easier to buy. I, uh, the, the, our home group, the GTS men, yesterday did um, deacon food cooking, right? And so instead of buying food, we prepped food. Let me tell you, it's pretty hard work because half of us, after working the whole day to, to cook those meals, caught a nap afterwards. One of us needed a massage. One of us got injured. We're like, oh, my goodness, right? Um, we were, like, wiped out. So you got to ask the question, why would you go through that much trouble? Why didn't you just buy the fruit? I mean, can't we just buy ourselves some peace? Just... Go away for the weekend. Leave the kids. Buy ourselves some peace. Can't we just do Marie Kondo's method and just choose things that bring us joy, right? Just, just all the things that don't bring you joy, throw them out. Throw it out. Just keep, just buy the things. Keep the things that give you joy and you will have joy in your life. Why don't I just... Do the things I love. If I want more love in my life, everything that I don't love, I just won't do it. I just won't have it in my life. And then I'll just, why don't I just chase after love? Chase after love, find love, find joy, find my peace, right? Instead of grow it. Like, chase happiness or joy. Because today's on joy. Why don't we do these things? Well, aside from the fact that most of us, if we're older, aside from the fact that most of us have actually figured out that life itself doesn't work with the chasing of fruit. That just because a person eats a lot of mango doesn't mean he's going to be able to produce mango. 
most of us have figured it out, that the people who are running around chasing happiness, in the end, find that they don't have that happiness, right? Um, you cannot, the consuming of food or the buying of food is not the same as becoming becoming that fruit, right? We know this because we eat a lot of watermelon. We're not watermelon. Okay, great. Um, let me give you, so we know, I feel like if you've lived enough life, you know, unless you're like really young and you're like, yes, I can buy happiness, right? Most of us know this, but let me give you the strongest, what I feel like is the strongest biblical reason why we can't just buy our fruit. Why not just buy our fruit? It's actually the reason that Galatians, the book of Galatians makes. And here's the reason. We are trees. The reason why we can't just buy our fruit is because we are all trees. Something is always growing in you. You're a tree. You're always producing. That's why Galatians says, don't produce from the flesh. Don't produce fleshly things. Produce spiritual things. Don't go to the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. Right? So, actually, if you don't pay attention to what you are producing, what is coming out of you, and you're just paying attention to the things that you can buy, that you can put on yourself, you actually end up corrupting the good thing that you buy. Because according to Galatians, something is always growing in us. We are, in, a fa in fact, trees. So it doesn't matter how much fruit you eat, even if you surround yourself with peace, 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 peace. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just have so much peace that I will lock myself in my room for two years and not go out of a 15 km, 5 km radius and I'll have complete peace, whatever it is, right? And you could have maybe, I don't know, bought that for yourself. If on the inside you haven't found the source of peace, or on the inside you haven't really tapped into how that's growing in you, you're not going to get what you're hoping for because something is growing in you. And if then the flesh is growing in you, it will end up producing um, bad fruit that will overcome the things that you just buy. So that's why it's important for us to take some time to go behind the scenes to see how fruit is produced because, and this is my strongest biblical point, I think, it's because we are trees. All right? The fruit of the Spirit is actually different from the gifts of the Spirit. All right? We know the Bible talks about the Spirit gives us gifts. In some ways, when the Spirit gives us gifts, we just have to receive it. We receive the gifts of the Spirit. And so maybe some of us get different gifts. And right, The fruit of the Spirit comes as you walk in the Spirit. It's over time, as you walk in the Spirit, you should exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. And all of us should be exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. It's not, and James has been given the fruit of joy, 
and you know, uh, um, Dan has been given the gift of patience or whatever it is. John is kindness, and you know, it's not. It's actually describing like we had the um, many descriptors that we had. Um, Zoe and Isaac described the watermelon in many different words in the first Sunday. All of the fruit of the spirit is basically trying to describe the kind of different facets. There's only one fruit of the Spirit, and they're trying to describe the different facets of what you get when you plant the seed of the Holy Spirit in your life, and it grows up as a tree, and it produces fruit. Or as you walk in the Spirit, that over time, you become more loving, more patient, more joyful. Um, I love how we had, um, so I kicked off with love. I love how we had Pastor Bruce Hills talk about peace and how God's peace, um, peace with others and peace within ourselves is a fruit that the Holy Spirit can produce. I love how we had Pastor Corey Turner last week come in and actually he honed in on the Holy Spirit because we're all like sheep and we need to hear God's voice. It's actually very foundational to the producing of fruit. Um, but today we are looking at joy. All right? So here we go. Joy. It's a, I reckon it's like a hundred trillion dollar question. There must be so much money spent in the world today, right? To how can we get happiness or joy? And I know there's some people who will, oh, no, 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 don't, let's not confuse happiness with joy. Okay. Let's just be real for a second. There are some distinctions. I know there's some distinctions between happiness and joy. But at a broad level, joy and happiness are kind of related. In fact, if I look through the Bible, I did a study on it. Joy is related to the words gladness and happiness. So while there might be a few distinctions, joy is in the happiness category. It is actually a state of being is what the uh, the Bible dictionary says, joy is a state of being. Happiness is a state of being. So um, I think let's just, for today, put them broadly in the same category. And I understand that there are distinctions between joy and happiness. But surely there is a lot of money being spent right now to get people joyful, happy, I don't know, Right? glad in that category. It is a question almost everybody wants answered. How do I be joyful, happy, glad in my life? Um, one of the ways, um, one of the words used in the Old Testament is blessed. Blessed, happy, joyful, favored, whatever it is. Yep, in that kind of category. Um, did you know that God is joy? God is joy. God is happy. Nehemiah, I, I love this, um, and you, you may not know this, but I love this reading of the, um, the text. Nehemiah 8 verse 10 says, Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Right? Now, one of the ways to read this in Hebrew actually is that the joy that God gives you is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. But an equally valid way to read it in Hebrew is that the joy that God possesses is your strength. 
that means the joy of the Lord, the, the joy that God has, because God has joy. For the joy of the Lord, the, Lord, the joy that the Lord possesses is your strength. That means our God is a joyful God. If you think about creation, when God created the whole world, right? So this is God, it's at our beginning, right? And He created, and He said, after all of creation, He rested. What did He say? It's good. It is good. There is an element of God where He's happy, He's joyful for us. I wonder, and you know, okay, I mean, uh, it's not the only thing God is, right? It's not the only God is multifaceted, but it is very certainly a big part of God, that God is joyful. God cannot be described in one word, but one of the words to describe God is joy. God produces joy in us. I wonder... I wonder what your view of God is. I want to just think for a moment right now. You know, you're watching the sermon. You're writing down words about God. Do you, would joy be one of the words that you'd write down for God? Would you think, oh yeah, I, I serve a joyful God. Do you see God as joyful? Do you see Him as inspiring joy? Honestly, if I could answer you honestly, maybe not. If I were to write this myself before, before this sermon, I, I don't know. I definitely had to ask this question during lockdown. Like, do I see God as joyful if we don't see god as joyful if if as we think about god the word joy doesn't come to mind a mind it we would actually be wrong it would be an incorrect view of god and you might have good reason why you don't think God is joyful. You might, oh yeah, for this reason, this thing, this thing. God is not joyful. But I think if we don't have a view of God that He is joy, then we would just be proving to the whole world why we are sheep. Why we are so ignorant about the things of God. Why it is impossible for us in our own selves to comprehend what God actually is like. Because God is joy. God has joy. He is a joyful God. And if we can't comprehend it, it's not God who's wrong. It is us who's wrong. So at some level, I'm conscious that I have to recalibrate my life. At some level, I'm very conscious that I have to reframe what my view is of God, not based on what I feel, not even based on what I can, can think of in my own head as I imagine what God is like. I have to reimagine what God is like based on the truth of what the Word of God tells me about God. I think one of the reasons why we are so often wrong about God, in particular in the area of joy, like we think, oh, joy is like food gives me joy, right? Um, I don't know, parties give me joy, whatever it is. God 
and joy? I don't know. I think why we get it so wrong sometimes is that all of us, we're quite short-term in our thinking, right? We're all, and in fact, we're more short-term nowadays than we've ever been, if we're very honest. Um, the things around us, the things around us affect us and then affects our view, right? So it's a little bit like the game that we played. The You got the title of the game wrong. It was... The what we did game. What we did game. <laughs> okay, anyway, when we did, we played the what we did game where, you know, you get a wrong answer and you're out. Um, some of the things that we did, like, seem pretty random. The, 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 the criteria that, that James and Delaney came up with was just like, I don't know, whatever was on their piece of paper. It seems so random. Sometimes we're a little bit like that. The different random things that we don't have any control of, right, affect us and it affects our joy. We're very, I mean, let's just be honest. We're all like that. Our view has become so short-term that now only the recent things that have happened to us, like what we did last week, affect our state. So I'm going to make, as um, this sermon has only two points. I'm going to make two statements about joy. One that I think you can easily agree with. Both of those statements are true. I'm going to make one statement that I'm imagining everybody can agree with. And the other is a statement that will set you free. That is also true. One is the one that you'll agree with, and number two is the one that will set you free. So let's get right into it. Statement number one is the subjective statement, is the joy is subjective. I'm pretty sure we all agree on this. Joy is a matter of perspective. You know this. You know joy is a matter of perspective. This was easy for us. Someone can be in any given situation, right? Just name one situation. Someone can be then very joyful, and another person can be just like, eh, whatever, that's like nothing. For example, in Melbourne, in Melbourne, going out past 9 p.m., joy! <laughs> going out past 9 p.m., Every other city in the world, eh, whatever, <laughs> right? I mean, unless you're like eight years old and you're like, woo, <laughs> right? Lockdown ends. Good news of great joy I bring to you. Lockdown has ended. And for some people, that is like so joyful. And others, it's the opposite. Oh, what do you mean? There's going to be people moving around? Then I, mean, I might see somebody and worry, anxiety. Joy is really a matter of like how you, you view the same situation, right? The exact same thing that is happening. There's an element of perspective. I, I feel like I don't need to spend a lot of time explaining that joy 
is a matter of perspective. That you can look at some things, you can look at certain suffering in life, you can look at certain things that are good and see joy in it. Or there's some things that are, are is bad and you can see joy in it. Or you can look at good things and see them devoid of joy and just take it for granted. I'm like, oh, whatever. I deserved to get that promotion. There's no joy in that. I should be promoted or whatever. So joy is a matter of perspective. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because I kind of feel like everybody agrees in it uh, about this. Because our current world, our current world is already teaching us this lesson. Right? It's fine. It's fine if the world is teaching us this. It's true. Right? If we spent the whole sermon on joy as a matter of perspective and you need to get the proper perspective on life to have joy, if we spend the whole sermon on like, hey, have an upbeat view of the world. Hey, it's just a matter of perspective. If I spend the whole sermon on this, honestly, whether you are a Christian or you're not a Christian, whether you have the Spirit in you, whether you're walking in the Spirit, you're not walking in the Spirit, doesn't matter. You would still benefit from the sermon. You'd be like, oh yeah, great. I have to shift my perspective. You'd still get something out of it. It's good. It's true. Great. Fantastic. Statement one, done. I'm more interested in statement two. So statement two will change your life and set you free. And I'm not, I'm not denying statement one. Like, I just feel like everybody, everybody understands this. Right? The joy is a matter of perspective. So pay attention to the perspective you have, okay? But here's statement two. It is an objective statement. So statement two now is not something that is dependent on your life situation or your perspective or how you view things. It is objective. It is, it is either true or it's false. It either exists or it doesn't exist. And here's the objective statement. Joy comes from the Lord. Now, of course, you'd expect a pastor to say that in that church, but is it actually true? You know, um, Spurgeon, one of a very famous um, preacher, tells of a time when he was like feeling really down and depressed and really low on energy. And he was saying to God in his devotional time, God, I've got nothing left to give. I'm all out of it. Um, I don't think I can go on in ministry anymore. And he writes that in his quiet time, the Holy Spirit, so I'm trying to give you a little bit of the behind the scenes. He writes that the Holy Spirit prompted him and, and spoke to him and ministered to him and said to him, and he saw these images in his mind. He saw an image of a fish swimming in water, thinking, oh my goodness, I'm drinking so much water all the time, constantly drinking water. What if I run out of water? I'm going to die. And that the Holy Spirit was saying to him, no, you're a fish. You're drinking little bits of water. The ocean has enough water 
for you. He saw another image of a mouse in a barn, like in uh, Joseph's day in Egypt, one of those like silos that they stored up for the famine. And this little mouse going, oh, I better be careful what I eat. I might run out of grain. And the Holy Spirit is saying, no, 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 no. You're just a mouse. There's food here to feed all of Egypt and the neighboring countries. Or a climber, he writes, who is going higher and higher up in altitude, saying, oh, I better be careful. There's not enough oxygen around. And God's saying, yeah, there's a lot of air. Sometimes we have this view of God's joy that somehow we might run out of it. But Spurgeon was reminded that the joy of the Lord is really, really vast. That's kind of why James 1 verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What does that mean? That even if you're going through really tough times, even if you're going through really tricky troubles, you can still find joy. You can still count the joy in that. We, we know that um, something good can happen to us even though we're going through tough times. Here's, here's what we know about... Um, I did a lot of research on joy as, uh, you know, in preparation for this. Here's what we know about joy and the enemy of joy. Sadness, sorrow, trouble, they're not the enemy of joy. They're not the enemy of joy. Because you can be sad for things that happen and feel joy. I, uh, I've now seen this with my own eyes, actually. I've, I've had the... I guess the pain of being at, uh, at funerals and being actually on the deathbed with some people in our congregation. Uh, but I've also had the joy of being with them in their final days of life. And I have seen with my own eyes, I could name you people who their final days, they were joyous. How can it be that we can go through sad things and have joy. Because sadness is not necessarily the, the enemy of joy. Trouble is not necessarily the enemy of joy. What is the enemy of joy? And I like what R.C. Sproul says. He, out of all of the different things that could be the enemy of joy, he actually lands with anxiety is the enemy of joy. Anxiety is the enemy of joy. And what's at the root of anxiety is fear. That anxiety, root cause fear, is the enemy of joy. Not, as we might think, trouble or difficulty in life. You know, I, I have a best friend uh, growing up. And I remember, you know, like I go to Disney World for holidays, which I, I feel like is something reasonable to do, right? You pay money, a lot of money, and then you go to a place that's fun. But my best friend, his idea of fun is hiking in remote parts of the world, right? Where in places where you like, he was he was telling me about his last hike 
uh, when we were younger. And he was like, oh, man, I was climbing up. Like, I nearly fainted, and one of our party couldn't go anymore. And I had to, like, lie down for ages. I'm like, oh, my goodness. You paid money. You bought equipment to work very hard and half faint and maybe nearly die. How do you find joy in that? But he did. To many, it might look like suffering, but for him, it was joy. In fact, the people he went with, and you know who I'm talking about, the two guys that went married the women they went with. Definitely found joy. Yep, Tim, I'm talking to you. Okay, cool. Um, and Joel, hey, Joel, how you doing? Okay, great. Um, we need to tackle this enemy, which is anxiety and fear. How do we do that? Because it seems like everything is actually influencing us towards the short term. The key is that we must cultivate our ability to think of the future. When you, when you consider what anxiety is about, it is about the things of the future, right? So core in us cultivating joy is actually fighting against today's culture or today's mood that is more and more linked into the short term. What, what did I do last week? What's coming up really soon? Right? Because right now, we're all of our mindsets are very short-term, short-term, short-term. But actually, what the Bible says is if we are to have the joy in the Lord, if we are to have the kind of joy that the Bible talks about, if we're to grow that in our life, we must actually first tackle our ability to think of the future. Thinking of the future is a core part of our Christian growth and walk. I like what Hebrews 12 verse 2 says. Jesus, let's look to Jesus. Jesus did this. Here's a key passage with the word joy in it. Looking to Jesus, he is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Who? And this is how Jesus looked at joy. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus had this ability he was not anxious about the future. He, the future provided him stability, provided him joy. In fact, Jesus, it says, how did he go through the cross? The cross. He went for the joy that is set before him. Jesus had an orientation that looked to the future, and he saw joy in the future. In fact, I did a little bit of study because oh, I was a bit confused. I didn't actually, I knew what endured the cross was. I wasn't really sure what it meant to despising the shame. Like, seems a bit weird to say despising the shame. But it's as if Jesus said this. So you've got Jesus. He's looking ahead to the joy that is before him. And he's talking to the shame 
the shame of being stripped down, whipped, carrying his cross all through, the, the shame of saying that you are the Messiah and the hope of the world and now everybody has left you, all your disciples are gone and, and you're going to be you know, hung up on a cross like a criminal, the shame of walking through. It's as if Jesus is looking at all the circumstances of his life at that moment and he's saying to the shame, Listen, listen to me, shame. Do you see that joy that is in front of me? Do you see that? Because compared to that future joy, you are less than nothing. You are not worth comparing to that joy. I despise you. I despise you. you. You think you have power. You think you have power over me compared to the joy that is before me. You have none. Joy. That is what lies ahead of me, not you. Shame. You're worthless. You're powerless. You think you can distract me? I won't even look at you. I'm going to set my eyes on the joy that is before me. Why would I look at you? You're ugly. You're despicable. You're like a filthy rag, and I will put on royal clothes. In my head, that's what Jesus would be saying to the shame as he's despising the shame. And here's why I think it falls in the objective category, not subjective. Because when you look at Jesus... What actually happened with Jesus at the end of the day? Whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, did shame win or did glory win for Jesus? What was the truth that happened after? Regardless of whatever you think of Christianity, regardless of whatever you think, oh my goodness, you know the name Jesus, right? Jesus is well-loved all around the world. I actually don't think shame won that day. In reality, where's that Roman Empire that tried to destroy Jesus? It became Christian. That's what it did. Oh, my goodness. So it turns out, objectively speaking, that when Jesus focused his eye on the joy that was set before him, Objectively speaking, he was correct in placing his faith in God. In this life he was vindicated, and we haven't even gotten to the life of eternity. So when the Bible says, look to Jesus and follow what he did, and, and asks us to do the same thing, that whatever we are facing, whatever, and I trust me, it's not as bad as the cross. When the Bible says, hey, we've got to follow Jesus, Jesus set his eyes forward, ahead to the future, looking to the future for the joy that was set before him. When the Bible says that, it's not making a subjective proposition. It's not saying, hey, hey, you know what? You do really well if you just flip your thinking and be a bit more positive. It's not. He's saying, the Bible is saying, place your eyes and your faith and your trust in something that is actually true, that can actually be 
dependent on. Because thinking of the future, thinking about the future is what we're talking about today. It actually requires faith. Thinking of the future requires faith. And if you want to go behind the scenes for how joy can be produced in your life, you want to go behind the scenes to how you can produce the fruit of joy through the Holy Spirit, I'll tell you what, it's not going to be through all these things that you can buy or produce joy in your life by eating better food or, I don't know, whatever, having more friends over. It's not those things. It is going to be in the finding of the source of joy in God. Because objectively, objectively speaking, our joy comes from the Lord. That we are able to know that no matter what happens in our world today, no matter what happens, God's got it. God's in control. I want to give you, just as I'm ending, uh, you know, I, I'm try, uh, I will finish at 45 today. Um, I want to give you as practical an example as possible, all right? So I'm going to take you a little bit behind the scenes into my devotion this week, my this week's devotion, because God regularly does this in my life to sort of reorient me towards joy, towards producing that fruit um, of joy. And if I could be really honest with you, um, like the lockdown's been pretty hard on me. Uh, It's been... It's been really busy at church. Um, lots of pastoral issues. I, I tell you, I've had so many conversations with people around vaccination and unvaccination, around COVID, around how they're treated, how they're discriminated, how worried they are. How I've had all, so many conversations, and I'll tell you now, it is such a fine thread that you've got to navigate because you say something slightly wrong and you offend the other person as the pastor i'm talking about how could you say that oh you're like oh my goodness it's like i gotta think about this careful about this think about this careful about this oh you know this 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 this, that and i'll tell you what i didn't make up the rules and honestly i didn't even ask for the church to be in this position but here we are so it got a little bit weary if i could just be honest with you like Probably was not a great week. And so I'm opening up the Bible in my daily devotion in the morning, right? And I'm going, oh, my goodness, God. I, I hope you see what's happening because I think most of the congregation don't even know what's happening. I'm working very hard for you, God, but this is terrible. This is terrible. And I, I wish, you know, you'd come in and you'd help me a little bit more. And I wish it was a little bit easier to navigate and whatever else it is. And then I open up and I'm doing two things. One, I'm preparing for next year, which, um, you know, it's broadly going to be a wisdom series and whatever. I'm in the book of Job. And it turns out that the book of Job has a phrase in there that uses the word joy. So as I'm studying, I'm like, oh. The word joy comes up in the book of Job, which I'm reading through, right? And I'm like, oh, maybe this is relevant for um, to this Sunday sermon, so let's zoom on it. The phrase is, flap your wings with joy. Flap your wings with joy. I'm like, okay, great. Wing flapping joy. What is this? So then I zoom in on probably what I didn't realize at the time, but I zoom in on my most favorite chapter in the book of Job. 
And it begins like this. It's in Job 38. So it's, uh, I know it's a little bit random, but I'm trying to give you a behind the scenes of my actual real life to show you exactly what could happen, right? So I'm just reading the Bible. I get to Job 38. Because I'm trying to find the flapping your wings <laughs> with joy part. And Job 38 starts like this. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. So Job, who's been suffering in his life, you know, and things have not gone well. He should not have joy. And the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. He said, who? Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? I love that. It's like, do you know what you're talking about? Do you know what you're talking about? Because I feel like you're giving counsel a bad name. It's like sheep leading sheep. So God says to Job, and I feel like he's saying to me, dress for action like a man. Be a man. Get ready. You know, dress. Come on. Let's do this. I will question you, and then you just give me an answer. If you're so upset with me, if you've got all these questions for me, let's, let me question you. And you just tell me, like, you apparently know how the whole world's meant to work. You're supposed to know how things go. So how about you just get dressed for action like a man, and I'll question you. And you make a note. I'll just, I'll just ask you some random questions. Then the first question he asks is, um, oh, which I don't even have here, is in Job 38. Um, is in Job 38, verse 4. The first question he asks, just like out of the gate, I guess, he asks this question, Job 38, verse 4. He says, and so please tell me, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And tell me if you have any understanding who determined, I'm not telling you can you measure it, I'm asking you who determined the measurements of the earth. Surely you know. Surely you stretched the line upon it. Uh, no, not me. Not me. Last time I checked, I was not there in the foundation of the earth. Then, then you go, he goes for the whole chapter and he goes to like chapter 39. Okay, so Job 39, that's what I have up here. The wings of the ostrich flap their wings with joy. Oh, okay. The wings of the ostrich, ostrich wave proudly, but are they the pinions and plumage of love? For she leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot might crush them, that the wild beast might trample them. It seems so random. But what God is trying to say is, the ostrich, the ostrich, like, does things and doesn't even know that harm could come to her eggs. Why is she so dumb? If you read further, it says, because God has removed her wisdom and she can't figure these things out. Or Job 39, 26, 27. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings towards the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? The point that he's making with the ostrich, the eagle, and the hawk is... 
did you put that nature in any of these animals? Are you so in control? Do you know? And obviously, the answer to that is no, right? So I'm reading on, and it gets to Job 40, and he ends this whole long talk. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? And I tell you what, I was convicted this week. I cried in my own devotion time. No one's around. Because I found myself frustrated with COVID, frustrated with the church and ministry, frustrated with life that we've had, you know, up to now. And I went to God fault-finding and contending with Him. And I got to this point, and I know He was talking to Job, but I read that, and in the Holy Spirit, brought those words out to me. Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? I want to put it to you that you might not be feeling really joyful. You might, be, you might have all these reasons why there's no reason for joy in your life. Or whatever. I want to put it to you that maybe your time frame is too small. Maybe your, your view of things is too short term in its thinking. And that actually what you need to do is follow the author and the perfecter of our faith and you need to be like Jesus and you need to look ahead at the joy that sits before you. And I'm not talking about the joy of year 2022 when things open. I'm talking about the future joy that God has for you. The joy where He is going to be the judge of all things. The, where you meet your Creator, the Almighty, the one who determined all these things. And you are vindicated objectively like Jesus was. Jesus who despised that shame. Because you see, the key to a Christian's joy is its source, which is the Lord. And I don't know about you, I forget that every now and then. Like, I, I know it. It's like a Sunday school lesson. But unless you are walking with the Spirit, unless you keep in step with the Spirit, do you really know that the source of your joy is the Lord? Or do you contend with the Almighty? Do you sit down and think, oh, no, 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 God, I know you. I know you're a harsh God. I know you're a, you're a tough God. And so there is no joy in this world. Today's the day we all have to change our perspective. And the Holy Spirit does that for us. The Holy Spirit does that for us. I tried to give you an example of that. We can have joy because God is in control. The more you have the Holy Spirit in your life, the more your faith gets built up. The more your faith gets built up, the more you can produce the fruit of joy in your life because it's anchored on the joy that is immovable and unshakable. 
it combats the number one enemy of joy, which is anxiety and fear. Because we truly can be happy. We truly can be glad. We truly can rejoice with joy. Because God is in control. He is the Almighty. So I'm going to end with a prayer. I'm going to end with a benediction from Psalms 67. Psalms actually has the most instances of joy in any book in the Bible. And it goes like this, and it points to God. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us because we need to look to God. We need you, God. Salah. Pause. That your way might be known on earth, your saving power amongst the nations. Let people praise you, O Lord. Let all the people praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? Because you actually... You judge the peoples, but you judge with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you, for the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. And let all the earth fear him. Father, even as we go today, Help us to gain an insight into your blessing. Help us to see that you are a good God, a God of joy, and that our source of joy can be grounded and founded in you. Extend our vision longer beyond the short term, Lord God, and help us grow the fruit of joy in our life through walking in the Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Chris. That was really, really deep and powerful. And I really love how you said that the enemy of joy is not sadness or sorrow or troubles, but it's actually anxiety, which is rooted in fear. And such a relatable message as we come out of lockdown. And even our lockdown experience, I think it was interesting.